Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian, and this is Our Weird World. Alright, so it is Halloween. It's October 31st, 2023. Another Halloween. Uh, It's definitely my favorite holiday. I know I've talked about that in uh, previous episodes. I love this time of year as well, going into fall. It's just, especially where I live in New Mexico, the weather is fantastic. You get some days that are super nice. You can still wear shorts and a t-shirt, and you get some days like we've had recently, the last couple days, where it's gotten really cold and really chilly. But yeah, that's whatever. That's part of it, right? You can you can wear your flannels one day and then wearing your, your uh, Hawaiian shirts the next day out here, but Anyways, yeah, it's I do like it this time of year out here. I'd love seeing the the trees, the leaves changing colors and, and all that. It's just, yeah, great great time of year. I, I do like it. And like I said, I absolutely love Halloween. Such a fun holiday, especially having kids now. Kind of get to live vicariously through them, you know, doing trick-or-treating and all that kind of stuff. So, But that's what I wanted to talk about today was Halloween and, and trick-or-treating and, and where all that comes from and the history of it and, and kind of how we got to where we are now, what what how did it evolve to this point that's i thought it'd be kind of cool to look into the history of it because i've always been quite ignorant of the history of it i I knew very little Um, i had a pretty vague understanding of the history of halloween so i thought it'd be kind of neat to look into it a little bit more what why exactly we have it um and why we celebrate it so yeah so let's dive right in so what is halloween where does it come from so pretty much the idea of Halloween that we know of now, the, the way it's celebrated and what it's celebrating comes from basically an, I, I was going to say ancient, but I suppose a yeah, uh, pagan Gaelic holiday pronounced Sawin. Now, if you see the, the word, the way it's spelt, phonetically, the way it's spelt in English, you would think it'd be pronounced Samhain. It's spelt S-A-M-H-A-I-N in English but it is pronounced Sawin. Um, there are different spellings of it, obviously, depending on the particular language that you're reading it in, such as Gaelic, um, but it is pronounced Sawin. Sometimes you can also see it spelt more phonetically the way it's pronounced as S-A-U-I-N. I have seen that uh, written out that way in English, but either way, whichever way you see it written, it's pronounced Sawin. Again, I know it, it reading it, you'd think it'd be Samhain, but Sawin is how you pronounce it. I, I, the first time I ever saw it, I saw the S A M H A I N version. That's why I thought, oh, Samhain. But uh, again, I, I didn't know any better. So, doing some research, I found out it is pronounced Sawin. Like I said, this comes from, it, it's a, uh, everything that I read, it's Gaelic in nature. It's a, it's a pagan holiday, and we'll talk about that more, obviously, but in what it is. So, so it is a Gaelic festival on November first, which marks the end of the harvest season. And going into winter, or what uh, sometimes you'll hear referred to as the darker half of the year. And so the way the Gaelic calendar works is, or I shouldn't say calendar, but the days would typically, they start at the at sunset. So you start celebrating sunset on the night before November 1st, which is today, October 31st. So that's essentially where Halloween comes from. There's more to it than, than that, but that's kind of where it starts. So at sunset, November, uh, October 31st, today, you begin celebrating Samhain, the celebration of the end, end of the harvest season during summer, moving into winter. So basically, it, it's it's noted as being basically halfway between the autumn equinox, equinox excuse me, um, which just occurred, uh, end of September, and the winter solstice is about about halfway again about halfway between i know winter solstice is still not quite two months away but still that's that's kind of the idea is that it's between those two the, the autumn equinox and the winter solstice uh it is one of four gaelic seasonal festivals that they celebrate in bulk I, I guess would be the best way to pronounce it i haven't heard it pronounced i haven't heard anybody else say it somebody that speaks gaelic you know irish or scottish gaelic but this is a, uh, another Gaelic traditional festival that they celebrate. Another one, B-E-A-L-T-A-I-N-E, 
as called uh, it's Gaelic May Day Festival. Um, Biltane, Bilton, Beltane, maybe Beltane. Uh, looking at the way it's it's written out, um, other other uh, pronunciations. And this is held on May first. Did I say when Imbolc is 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 celebrated? Uh, no, I didn't. It is celebrated on February first, and then Beltane on May first, and then the other one. It is celebrated on, I had a note here, where is it? August 1st. And it is, I'm probably going to mess up the pronunciation of this as well. Lunasa. There are a few different spellings of it. Uh, L-U-G-H-N-A-S-A-D-H. L-U-G-H-N-A-S-A. Or L-U, and it has like a, I don't know what it's called. It's like a dash above the U. N-A-S-A. But uh, the, the they have it written out the way you would pronounce it uh i i'm believing the way it would be pronounced is lunasa so that is another gaelic festival that is celebrated as well um on traditionally on august 1st so th- those are just like i said the these four seasonal celebrations that are celebrated within uh, gaelic festivals gaelic seasonal festivals i read a little bit about the other ones it's they're pretty cool they're all seasonal fest festivals that they celebrate a lot of these have to do with like like nature um, and and seasons changing, things like that. You see that a lot historically in a lot of um, like ancient cultures and whatnot. These these celebrations of seasons as seasons change, and that's again that's kind of basically what this is. Uh, Sawin again, like I said, it's your end of October going into November. The the change of the harvest, moving on into the darker half of the year or winter. Historically, this was obviously because it's a, a Gaelic festival was celebrated throughout ireland scotland um, isle of man there is a similar festival that is held by the britonic celtic people of wales uh, let me see if i can get a pronunciation on this one because i don't want to mess this one up either it is spelt c-a-l-a-n it's two words and the second word is spelt g-a-e-a-f Callan gaif please forgive me if i mispronounce that but th- that's one that is, again, a similar festival held by the Britannic Celtics in Wales, and they celebrate that. So that's another one you might see as well. But primarily what we're focusing on is Samhain, is, is this, this particular holiday celebration. It's believed that the origins of this come from Celtic pagan origins, and there were Neolithic passage tombs in Ireland and Britain that were actually built to align with the sunrise at the time of Samhain, of this day of November 1st. So these would be graves or tombs consist, consistent of, con, excuse me, consisting of one or more burial chambers covered in earth or stone and having a narrow access passage made of larger stones. And like I said, they had these ones in Ireland and Britain that were aligned, were, were built to be aligned with the sunrise at the time of Samhain. It is mentioned uh, that in the earliest Irish literature, as early as 9th century, and it is associated with many important events in Irish mythology. Uh, there's a lot of other things. I don't want to get into it too deep. There's a lot of Irish mythology in this. And again, all that kind of Celtic region, Ireland, Scotland, Isle of Man, like I said, and, and part of uh, the Great Britain area too. Samhain was basically, it was marked by, you'd have these big gatherings and feasts and they would open up these ancient burial mounds which were seen as portals to what they they call the other world you could think of it as like the spirit world family members they pass away you they have these uh, burial mounds where their their bodies are buried they open them up it's a portal to the other world it, it reminds me a lot when i when i was reading about it looking into it uh, you see in like uh, a lot of uh, latin american or just latin i should say in general uh, Mexican cultures, Dia de los Muertos, especially because where I live in New Mexico is a is a you see that everywhere. It's all over the place. It, you see a lot of that stuff around. It's it's um, you know you see it in culture, just in general too, and just in pop culture also. But it's 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 all over the place. It's all around too. And and it, anyways, the point that I'm trying to get to is this: the way that ta- reading this, the Irish mythology, the way they celebrate Samhain, reading it in this these notes I have here. Um, pertaining to this opening up of the burial chambers effectively letting the spirits out in this passage between the quote other world it's very similar to 
some of the ideas you see in Dia de los Muertos. You're honoring the dead is basically what you're doing. You have these family members that have passed. You're honoring them and and remembering them and their life and celebrating them and and what they brought to this world when they were here with you in the living. And it, and again, it's kind of that same idea of that passage between our world and the other world or the world of the dead. I was gonna say communicating with the spirits or the dead, but I mean. Not not exactly, but kind of metaphorically, I, I guess. But anyways, we'll talk about it more. I'm I'm rambling on, so anyways, we'll continue on. A lot of literatures have associated Sawin with uh, bonfires and sacrifices, and we'll read we'll get into more of that too here. The, the idea of Sawin uh, does go back; it's believed long ago. Like, like again, kind of like I said earlier, like ancient Celtic and Irish Irish mythology. But it wasn't recorded in detail until kind of early, uh, you could say modern era, if you will. Um, again, some of what I read here goes back to like the ninth century with some of this Irish mythology. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, it was associated with, they would have bonfires and sacrifices. One of the things that they would sacrifice is uh, actually cattle. Um, they would bring cattle down from their summer pastures and livestock. They just said, some of them just say livestock, so but some specifically say cow, cattle, so cows. And would be slaughtered at, uh, sacrificially. So basically, uh, special bonfires would be lit, which were deemed to have protective and cleansing powers. Similar to Samhain, Beltane, the one I mentioned, was kind of the same idea. It's a very similar festival when the boundary between this world and the other world thinned. Uh, uh, and you could have this contact with spirits. Or what you hear often in, especially Irish mythology, fairies. That's huge in Irish mythology. I, I actually recently, I've been watching a lot of uh, documentaries and listening to podcasts recently about kind of stuff like this and just kind of like general like Celtic mythology and history and stuff like that. And one they, they talked about was, was in Irish mythology was fairies. They're huge in Irish mythology as fairies. Being uh, of Irish heritage, I've heard a lot about it myself too. A lot of my family on my mother's side is Irish. It, that's definitely one that I've heard a lot about too, but yeah, it's really cool. If you want to look into it, look into some of the Irish mythology and and stories around fairies. It's not what you think. It's not the, um, uh, Tinkerbell pixie dust happy kind of the, it's, it's, it's more darker than that. There's some that are really cool. There's some that are very scary. There's some that are, are a little more mild mannered, but yeah, it's really neat. If you want to go into it, check, maybe I'll do an episode on that. It's actually really cool to, these ideas of these Irish spirits or fairies, really cool. But anyways, so th this one, the Beltane, which again was a um, came from Britannic Celtic people. It was again you're you're thinning the veil between our world and the quote other world to make contact with spirits or fairies. That's kind of what basically what it, Beltane states or what they're what they're what they're part of the celebration, part of the festivals. There has been uh, this one little note I, I quote. Uh, note I saw on, uh, that I wrote down here. A lot of scholars basically see this as remnants of uh, pagan gods, these spirits or fairies. I just thought that was an interesting note that, that some scholars have thought that. One part of this veil between our world and the other world and, and these sort of contacting with the spirits and celebrating those that have passed was to appease the spirits with offerings of food and drink. And basically, this was to ensure that the people that you, you literally the person, your families that were alive and the livestock that you had, not, not the livestock you sacrificed, but the livestock, livestock you have moving forward would survive through the winter because the winter times, the winter months during they were, it was very harsh and, and it, it was very probable that you as a person or your livestock could die. Now, especially if your livestock died, that's your food source. You need that. That is a big part of what you have during the winter to hold you over into spring is your livestock. You would survive on that protein. If they die, it's a strong possibility that you could die because of it. They would have these offerings of food and drink to these spirits as a way to ensure that they and their livestock can survive through winter to see the next summer. You kind of see where this is going with Halloween? Yeah, it, kind of making those connections. So the souls of dead kin, family members, were also thought to revisit their homes seeking hospitality. This is kind of where you get the idea of people coming to your house on Halloween dressed in costumes, especially as 
originally was like as like ghosts, right? It's very common. You see that a lot in pop culture too, like the the classic bedsheet ghost, right? You put a bedsheet on, you cut some holes for your eyes, and you go to somebody's house seeking hospitality is is one of the quotes I saw regularly. So that's pretty cool. So again, the idea is that souls of your your kin, your family members were thought to revisit their homes where they lived, probably the homes where you're now living too, seeking hospitality. They would actually set a place at their tables or wherever they would feast during a mealtime. So they would have a place set for their family members that had passed. I think that's really cool. That's a really cool idea. It actually reminds me a lot of when I was in the military. Um, They have the, I don't remember the specific name of the Forgotten Soldier, I believe. I was on an aircraft carrier in the Navy, and they always had a table that was, you were not allowed to sit at it. That was a big no-no. It reminds me of this, where you would have this table in the military set, and it was very precise. Um, you would have, everything was in its place. I got to look it up now, because I'm like, I got to, it's all coming back to me, but um, missing man table. There you go. I couldn't quite place the word. So it's uh, for p- prisoners of war and missing in action, P-O-W-M-I-A. If you're, if you're in the military, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've probably seen, if you're not military or weren't military, you've probably seen the the black flag with the, it has a, uh, a white silhouette of, it's like the a figure of a man, it says P-O-W-M-I-A. So anyways, it's, it's to honor those soldiers that are either missing or never returned or died in action, basically. So it's a table, so it's, it's to symbolize, it's symbolic of, of kind of that same thing, where you're, you're honoring, you're celebrating those that have passed, and you're leaving a place for them. So if their spirits return, it, it's not specifically that in the military, but it just reminds me of that. It, it's the same idea. So anyways, at the table, there's a, a full setting, fork, knife, spoon, napkin, a plate. Uh, there's a flower. There's a typically a candle. There's a glass upside down. It's always upside down because nobody's drinking from it. So anyways, that, that's kind of, it reminded me of that. When I was reading this part, it reminded me specifically of that. Because like I said, the ship that I was on, we had one. There, there was always a table there. It was always set. Uh, the guys that would take care of the galley, uh, that was one of their duties was to make sure that it was always set properly, that it was clean. Obviously, nobody was allowed to sit there. You would uh, typically, traditionally, you would, if you had a table that could move, uh, not a table, a chair that could move, you would lean the chair up on the table as well. And it's also like a statement, like you're not supposed to sit here. This is to honor those that have fallen. Again, it just reminded me of that. So, so yeah, so they would have this place in where they would feast in their home as like a, a welcoming to the spirits of their family members to come feast with them again. So I, so I thought that that's pretty neat. So again, you're letting these spirits to their, where they previously were in, inhabitants with hospitality. You set a place at your table for them to come and join you at your meal. Again, you can kind of see where this is going with, with Halloween, right? So there's a lot more to deal with that. I, I just want to give you, that's, that's the idea of kind of that, how it, how it goes. Okay, so again, Samhain was seen as a liminal time. Basically, when the boundary between this world and, again, the quote, other worlds, what they called it, could more easily be crossed. This meant the spirits, or fairies, could come into our world. So again, you offer food and drink, and typically you'd leave that outside. Um, sometimes they would also, I forgot to note, there would also be portion, portions of crops that actually might be left in the ground. So, you know, you... you you're coming towards the end. You'd, you'd pull all your crops out to have them to eat, to obviously, over the winter. But uh, some scholars did note that portions of crops might have been left in the ground, again, for these spirits. As, as hey, this is for you. We're celebrating you. Here's some, here's some crops for you as well. Oh, so here's a good, good note as well. Uh, there's one custom that's described as a, quote, blatant example of pagan rite surviving into Christian epoch. Uh, this was actually recorded in the outer... Uh, Hebrides, Hebrides, forgive me again if I pronounce that wrong, um, in Iona in the 17th century. So on the night of October 31st, fishermen and their families would go down to the shore. One man would wade into the water up to about his waist, where he would pour out a cup of ale and ask Shoni, who he called the god of the sea, to to bestow on them a good catch. Again, they're fishermen, so they good catch of, of fish, plentiful fish, right? Because they need that to survive to eat. It's said that this custom ended in 1670s. 
um, after campaigns by ministers in the area. That's kind of all I got out of it. I looked into it. It's kind of like, okay, there, there was a campaign of ministers that were against it and campaigned to end it. So apparently it ended in 1670s. But later the ceremony shifted into the springtime and survived actually until the late, excuse me, until the early 19th century. So historically, really not too long ago, a couple hundred years ago. Um, I don't know if anybody still does this or celebrates this. Perhaps if you know of anybody that does, or if you do yourself, let me know. Is that still a thing? Again, I couldn't really find any more looking into this particular, this specific celebration or custom. But anyways, I just thought that was one of note to talk. And it was on the same day, October 31st. So kind of the same idea. You're, you're out there appeasing this, the gods or spirits in this, in this particular case, God of the sea to have a good, good bountiful catch right going into the winter. Um, let's see. Da, da, da. Oh, it was, it's also one thing to take of note also is people during Samhain would take special care not to offend the spirits or fairies and sought to ward off any who were out to cause mischief. And this is talking about the spirits because again, you're, you're, you're dealing with the spirit world. If you have this veil and the kind of passage open between our world and, and the spirit world, you're, you're trying to honor the spirits of your ancestors, your family, your kin. But what if there's other bad spirits that come through? Like, like I said, ones that are out to cause mischief. So they would stay near their home or if forced to walk in the darkness would turn their clothes, clothing inside out or would often carry iron or salt to keep these mischievous spirits at bay. In Southern Ireland, it was uh, customary on Samhain to weave a small cross of sticks and straw. This was called a partial. They would fix this over their doorway to ward off any bad luck or spirits or, or illness or witchcraft. And then it would be replaced every Samhain. That's pretty cool. I think that's a pretty cool idea. I, I wonder, I didn't look into it, but I wonder if that has part to do with putting crosses over your doorways in uh, Catholicism. Kind of the same idea. You put a, a cross over your doorways it's kind of the same idea of, of to ward off evil spirits and, and kind of bring good fortune to you and your family and friends and things like that. So I wonder if those are connected, if there's a relationship there, because you, you think about Catholicism, modern day Catholics, a lot of people that are Catholics, not only are, are Spanish cultures, but Irish, you see that a lot in modern Irish and I'm even historically Irish, a lot of. Irish are Catholic. So I wonder if there's a connection between those two, because it's a very similar kind of thing, putting this cross over your doorway. And like I said, this particular one, they replace it every Samhain and it's a hand crafted, like I said, with small sticks and straw. I just think that's kind of cool. It does sound very similar. So, so again, you're, you're honoring the dead on Samhain beginning of winter. It's seen as the most fitting time to do so. You kind of think about it, it. Like I said, with changes of seasons and nature, as we go into fall, moving into winter, it's kind of like metaphorically the, the death of our seasons because your, your, your trees are changing, le- you know, leaves are falling off trees. You're at the end of your harvest. So it's kind of seen as this dying of nature and you're honoring that moving into winter. We, we talked about all that kind of where it came from. You can kind of see the connection of trick-or-treating with where you have people come to your home dressed up as as ghouls and goblins and ghosts and whatever you know i mean obviously nowadays it's a lot different people dress up as all kinds of stuff but it's that kind of same idea they're coming to your home seeking hospitality you know you you give them a treat trick or treat you can kind of see where that comes into play where i was talking to mention earlier of potential bad spirits wanting to cause mischief so that's where you get that connection of sort of the trick-or-treat that it's essentially how it evolved into that there's a little more than that but that's basically kind of the idea. One thing I mentioned, um, that I kind of forgot to go into a little bit. I'm about to go into here a little bit too, but is, um, I mentioned like dressing as a ghost, like with the bed sheet, the old kind of classic traditional with cutting holes in your bed sheet. The kind of idea of that actually comes from a lot of times historically when somebody would pass often, especially in old age, you'd pass in your sleep, in your, in your bed chambers, in your bed, whatever. And they used to, when that would happen, you pass in your bed, you would, your body would be wrapped in whatever sheet or blanket or whatever you had on you while you were sleeping. And that would be kind of, would essentially become your burial garment. 
So there's this idea that your spirit would rise and have this sheet on you that you were buried with. And that's kind of where that traditional idea of the, the kind of dressing as a ghost with your bed sheet came from. That That's effectively where that came from. So that's, that's one thing that I, I wanted to mention too. This is kind of involves into how we get into uh, the whole dressing up thing too. So yeah, that's, so that's what I want, I wanted to talk about here in part of Sawin in some areas, they call it mumming or guising. And this was actually first recorded in the 16th century in Scotland and also later parts of Ireland and uh, Isle of Man and Wales. So basically people would go house to house in costumes or disguises, uh, usually reciting songs or verses in exchange for food. Here you go. You're getting into trick-or-treating. This is like direct evolution into trick-or-treating. Now, it is thought that this may have evolved from a tradition uh, where people would impersonate the spirits or the souls of the dead and would receive offerings on their behalf, on the behalf of their past loved ones. So impersonating these spirits or souls, it's also believed that this was a way of protecting themselves from other potential bad evil spirits too okay so there's a sv pedal from uh, british folk customs in 1976 who wrote uh they suggested that geyser is what they call them or you know you're wearing a costume geyser quote this personified the old spirits of the winter who demanded reward in exchange for good fortune that was a quote from that that reading so that uh, yeah again you're dressing up and you're you're going looking for this you're going house to house looking for good fortune, hospitality. Um, it is suggested that the ancient festival did include people in masks or costumes representing the spirits. And that's where this modern custom came from. This is like, this is where you can see where it's coming from. Um, in Ireland, uh, costumes were also sometimes worn by those who, they went out before nightfall collecting food for the Samhain fest. That's also another connection that goes along with it too. So in our, in Irish custom, you would see this, that where they would go out dressed up before the night fell before sunset, before you went into this new day. So it's still the 31st collecting food for the large Samhain feast that they, they would have during their, their celebration. So that also is a direct connection to, to trick or treating. So this is where this whole idea of these wearing costumes and all this comes from. Um, in Scotland, it is said that uh, young men would go house to house wearing masks, veils, uh, painted faces. Um, sometimes their faces would be blackened out, often threatening to do mischief if they were not welcomed. So this, again, you can see the connection between trick or treating, trick or treat, right? You're, you're literally asking for, so like, I'm, I'm going to do something bad unless you give me a treat. Kind of that idea that, that this is kind of again you can see the direct evolution of this into what we do nowadays uh this was common in the 16th century in scotland in the scottish countryside and actually persisted into the 20th century if you're in scotland i know i have some listeners there if you know more about this if you do this or celebrate this still or if it is celebrated if you see it like like more this type rather than than the what you see i mean here in america we have trick-or-treating that's it that's you that's what you see that's what everybody does i'm sure there's others that celebrate it a little bit differently again there we have a a whole gambit array of of people here in different religions and different cultures and histories so i'm sure it is celebrated differently but specifically those in scotland my listeners there i'm, I'm asking you is this still celebrated in this way this method um do you celebrate it in this way in this method if you do let me know um i i, I think that's really cool i think that's really neat that it, according to my research, that it said that it lasted so long into the 20th century. That, I mean, that's the 1900s. I mean, obviously, 1900 or 1901 was a long time ago, over 120 years ago. But I just think it's awesome to see that it, it lasted however long it did, and or if it's still going on in this very traditional method. I think that'd be really cool. So I'm just curious if if you see that or if it is celebrated in this way. And even for my Irish listeners, I know I have Irish listeners too. Do you celebrate it in? the manner that I've been speaking about with some of these Irish customs, please let me know if you do, uh, or, or if you see it, or if you know anybody that does, I, I think this is really cool. I think this is really neat history that pertains and, and evolves into the trick or treating that, that I know that, that we know out here. Yeah. Let me know. S- send me an email, our weird world podcast at gmail.com. So it's thought that the, uh, so I mentioned that they would in this Scottish uh, tradition custom, they would sometimes uh, paint their faces black. 
And it's thought or suggested that these blackened faces came from using the bonfire's ashes for protection. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's a pretty cool neat idea. Is that true? Again, Scottish listeners, let me know. Again, in Ireland in the late 18th century, uh, peasants carrying sticks went house to house on Samhain, collecting food for the feast. Again, I kind of mentioned that. Uh, this is just another note that I saw. Similar kind of thing, similar idea. Uh, in parts of Southern Ireland during the 19th century, so this is the 1800s, uh, geysers including, included a hobby horse known as, please forgive me if I mispronounce this, I'm going to try, Lair Bon, or White Mare. Um, this was a man covered in a white sheet and carrying a decorated horse skull would lead a group of youths blowing on cow horns and going from farm to farm. That's pretty cool. Um, is that still done? Is that still celebrated? Uh, I'm actually looking at a picture of, of right now of, of a Lair Bon, Lair Ban, Lair Bon. L-A-I-R-B-H-A-N, and it has a little uh, little dash thing above the A. I'm assuming that's Gaelic. Um, if you know better, please correct me. I, I'm, I'm totally open to that. If, I'm, if I pronounce that wrong, whatever, please let me know. I, I don't mind the criticism. Um, anyways, I, I guess it translates to white mare. But like I said, anyways, it was, it was a man covered with white sheet carrying a decorated horse skull. And they'd go around doing this, blowing cow horns, going farm to farm. And at each farm, they would recite verses, some of which were quote, savored strongly of paganism, and the farmers were expected to donate food to them. Again, it's that same kind of idea of this, like, like, like trick-or-treating like we do in some of the other ones I mentioned, of you're going out there, we're going to cause mischief, whatever we're doing, and we're looking for this food, this hospitality, evil spirits don't do anything or don't cause any mischief, etc., things like that. So by the farmers doing so, by giving this, this food donation to them, the farmers could expect to have good fortune moving forward going into the season again very same idea as what we talked about earlier and this was again a, a a noted Samhain celebration like i said if you in southern ireland my listeners there i know i have some there too if you celebrate this in this method or something similar please again let me know i i think this is really cool i think this is really neat so if you do awesome if it's still celebrating this method let me know again this is just the research i found it said during uh, 19th century so this is 1800 so but if it's still done let me know. I think that's really cool. I think it's really neat. Uh, there's one writing that said, uh, quote, when imitating malignant spirits, it was a very short step from guising to playing pranks. The, and this, again, goes into that sort of, even what you see nowadays with trick-or-treating. If you get some bah humbug, somebody that doesn't want to celebrate or whatever, kind of traditionally, you'd, you'd hear people like toilet papering their house, stuff like that nowadays. Kind of the same idea. Or if they are actually have their you know, lights on or whatever, you go to the house, they give you a treat, cool, you leave them alone. It kind of, it's kind of the same idea, right? Like that's the prank nowadays, it'll toilet paper your house, things like that, throw eggs, whatever, stuff like that. It, it gets kind of silly. Um, fortunately, we don't get too much of that out here. I don't know if it still happens. I'm sure it does some places, but you know, I don't want to speak too much about um, things I I did in my younger days, but had some fun. We'll just leave it at that. Um <laughs> Um, so playing pranks at, at Samhain is recorded in Scottish Highlands going as far back as uh, 1736. Yeah, I mean, it was also common in Ireland. Um, but this led to Samhain being nicknamed Mischief Night in some areas. Because you'd have these people that, in, in costumes or disguises, playing pranks. So this later wearing of costumes on Halloween or Samhain, it started to spread to England uh, in the 20th century, in early 1900s. As did this custom of playing pranks, though there had been obviously this what they called mumming or guising at other festivals as well. But it started to move. You could see this it, this tradition, this custom of wearing a costume on this date. It started to, to move into other areas of the world. Now, at the time, you had you started to see this um, these transit transatlantic immigration from Ireland and Scotland coming to North America. So what's going to happen if these if these people coming from Ireland and Scotland and this part of the world are coming over to North America? They're going to bring their traditions with them. They're going to do the things that they have always done, that that's part of their culture. They're not going to stop celebrating and doing the things the way they did them. So they're going to bring these things with them, this culture, these, these uh, traditions. They're going to bring them with them as they immigrate to North America. These traditions of guising and pranking were a big part of uh, Irish and Scottish tradition. So again, they brought these over here. So it is believed that trick-or-treating that we know of now today basically came directly from this Samhain fest and from the Irish and Scottish customs of doing this. And it evolved from there, moved moved to England, 
moved over here to North America when started having mass immigration of Irish and Scottish and, and British coming over here. You know, people from that part of the world, you know, in the, especially in the, uh, that time, the early 1900s, a lot of, lot of people from that part of the world were coming over, especially Irish and Scottish, th- those two, especially, um, I know that we have people immigrating from all over the world, but at that time, especially huge influx of Irish and Scottish were coming here to North America, not just USA, but North America, Canada, America, all over here. It is basically from all the research I've looked at and everything I've read and seen, it is suggested that trick-or-treating, what we know of here in North America, came directly from this Samhain festivals. These traditions that were occurring in Ireland and Scotland, dressing up, playing pranks, all that, came here and it evolved into this, what we know now as trick-or-treating. Like, you can directly link it and say, like, this is where it came from. You can really see the connection. So I think that's really cool, seeing that you have these people from Ireland and Scotland, they have these traditional customs they've been doing for hundreds possibly even thousands of years it's evolved over time stayed but stayed similar and then you know you start to mash it together with some other customs of other different areas people start moving they come over here to north america they bring these traditions with them again they evolve and change you probably meet new people new cultures here from other parts of the world kind of mishmash your your customs together but you get this trick-or-treating that we know of now today so that, that that's pretty cool other thing I wanted to talk about was when you think of Halloween, you, you can't talk about Halloween without the good old pumpkin jack-o'-lantern, right? I know I've mentioned this briefly in another episode. Um, I remember talking about it, but again, because we're talking about Halloween on Halloween, you got to talk about jack-o'-lanterns, right? That's a big part of it too. So where the heck did these come from? How, why do we cut a pumpkin open, which is just a giant gourd basically, and and pull its guts out and put a face on it? And put it outside. What is up with that? Why do we do that as well on Halloween? The traditional illumination of geysers and pranksters abroad on, on this night in some places was provided by turnips or uh, mangle versals. Mangold uh, beets, basically just beet. They can be pretty good. Prepare them right. Uh, fresh, raw, like ugh. But cooked, prepared in certain, yeah, they can be pretty good. I'm not a huge fan, but they can be good. Basically, they would be hauled out to act as lanterns and often carved with grotesque faces. That, that's effectively where this comes from. And they would typically be set on windowsills. Uh, the people that made them, these lanterns were basically said to represent the spirits of supernatural beings, or would be used to ward off evil spirits. That's that's the big one there too. But yeah, that's, that's the typical, what everything I looked at again, that's what they typically said. They were representative of spirits or supernatural beings. And you can kind of see like some of the ones, the traditional... You look jack o' lantern the way they're they're portrayed, where you cut them, they do kind of look supernatural or 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 evil, if you will, I guess. But we're mostly used to ward off evil spirits. That's the idea. It's common in parts of Ireland and Scottish Highlands during the 19th century to do this, to take these, like again, like I said, it'd be typically turnips or or um, beets that would be hollowed out, and you'd turn them into these little faces, right, to ward off evil spirits. Uh, they were also found in uh, Somerset, uh, which is in uh, Southwest England as well. It, it is noted that, that during that time, they were also found in that part of the world too. Uh, during the 20th century, of course, they started to spread to other parts of Britain and became generally known as Jack-O-Lanterns. Why did that name come about? That's one thing that I kind of want to know too. So again, it's a, it's a carved lantern, mostly typically made of pumpkins. That's what we think of now. It can be other, such as, as beets or turnips, like I said. Um, and obviously, it is associated with Halloween, like I said, because that's when you always see them. What is the point I'm getting to? Oh, where did this name came from? Jack-o'-lantern. How, how do we get to this name? The, the etymology of it. What, what did it come from? So the term jack-o'-lantern originally was to des- was used to describe, again, I'm going to, forgive me if I mispronounce this, Ignis Fatuus. Is that Latin? La- La- I can't even talk. Oh my gosh. Latin, which uh, translates to foolish fire or known as will of the wisps in English folklore. Again, going back to that, that part of the world. Um, with a lot of their folklore and mythology and history. It is thought that these were used in East England as early as the 1660s. The Oxford English Dictionary actually recorded the use of this term in Britain from uh, 1658 uh, in reference to Ignis Fatuus, Foolish Fire. And in 1663 to 1704, it was used in reference to a man with a lantern or as a night watchman. Again, the Oxford English Dictionary in 1837 also referred to the lantern carved from a turnip or pumpkin. Let's see. So here in North America, uh, the term, uh, 
of this was first seen in 1837. In the United States, carved pumpkins were first associated with the harvest season in general before it came to an end and became known as a symbol of Halloween. Uh, In 1895, there was an article on Thanksgiving entertaining recommended giving a lit jack-o'-lantern as a child's prize in Thanksgiving games. Uh, This is coming from his history here in North America. Uh, The poet John Greenleaf Whittier, uh, who was actually born in Massachusetts in 1807, he wrote a poem called The Pumpkin in 1850, and it does mention Thanksgiving, but not Halloween. And this is actually the the poem. I'm going to read it here. So this is, quote, The Pumpkin from 1850 by John Greenleaf Whittier. Oh, fruit loved of boyhood, the old days recalling, when wood grapes were purpling and brown nuts were falling, when wild, ugly faces we carved in its skin, glaring out through the dark with a candle within. So there you go. Pretty cool. And this was, again, directly related with Thanksgiving. And you can see where it's talking about having the face carved in its skin, glaring out through the dark with the candle within. There you go. You got your your, your jack-o'-lantern right there. Okay, so going back to European folklore, uh, the story of jack-o'-lantern comes in many forms. And is similar to the story of Will of the Wisp, different retellings of it from all across Western Europe, uh, including Italy, Norway, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, all over the place. Children would leave bowls of milk or cream out from mythical house spirits, which were called Jacko the Bull. Jacko the Bull. Um, in Swiss folklore, Jacko the Bull, it's a, a, a helpful house spirit and, and was typically described as like a brownie. Um, in Irish folklore, and folktales from the mid-18th century, tells of Stingy Jack, which was a lazy yet shrewd blacksmith who uses a cross to trap Satan. Uh, One story says that he, Jack, Stingy Jack, tricked Satan into climbing an apple tree, and once he was up there, Jack quickly placed crosses around the trunk or carved a cross into the bark so that Satan could not get down. So now you're getting this connection between Jacko the Bull and Stingy Jack. And then you have these turnips or beets that are lit up like lanterns. Bingo, bango, bongo, jack-o'-lantern. It's not that easy, but that's kind of the idea, basically. Uh, so there's another version of that, the one, the stingy Jack and Satan, that says that Jack was getting chased by some villagers from whom he had stolen. He then meets Satan, who claimed it was time for him, Jack, to die. However, Jack the thief stalled his death by tempting Satan with a chance to bedevil the church-going villagers that were chasing him. Jack told Satan to turn into a coin with which he would pay for the stolen goods. Based on this, this uh, story, Satan could actually shapeshift. So later, when Satan tr- turned into the coin, disappeared, the Christian villagers would fight over who had stolen it. The devil agreed to this plan. He turned himself into a silver coin and jumped into Jack's wallet, only to find himself next to a cross Jack had also picked up in the village. Jack closed the wallet tight and cr- and the cross stripped the devil of his powers, and so he was trapped. Uh, in both these folktales, Jack lets Satan go only after he agrees to never take his soul. He Basically, he agrees, okay, you let me out, I will not take your soul. Years later, he dies, Jack, as, as, as you do, old age, whatever. And so, of course, Jack's life had been too sinful for him to go to heaven. However... Satan had promised to not take his soul. So what happened? So he is barred from hell. He can't go to heaven, but he also can't go to hell. So now Jack had nowhere to go. So he asked how he would see where to go, as he had no light. And Satan mockingly tossed him a burning coal to light his way. So again, according to the story, Jack carved out one of his turnips, which were his favorite food, that they had to note that it was favorite food, just suddenly came in there. So he carved out a, a, a turnip, He put this burning coal inside of it and then began to endlessly wander the earth for a resting place because, again, he's not allowed into heaven because his life was too sinful. Satan said he would never take a soul, so he can't be allowed into hell either. So he's forever wandering the earth looking for a resting place with this turnip that he carved out with this burning coal inside it. And this became known as Jack of the Lantern or what we now know as Jack-O-Lantern. That, that, that is one story that I, I like that. That one's really cool. That's really neat. This this idea of th- this guy wandering and it, it definitely has a darker tone to it 
with that of this spirit that he was so sinful in his life he can't get into heaven but he made this deal with the devil because he had managed to trap the devil but let him out now he can't go into hell so he's just wandering earth forever so there's these ideas of jack-o'-lanterns they're there to ward off evil spirits but then you have this idea of it's it's this guy his spirit wandering earth so it's pretty cool there's another another let me check this out this is a pretty cool i saw this uh this is a, a Cornish folklorist, Dr. Thomas Quiller Couch, uh, who passed away in 1884. He recorded the use of the term in a rhyme used in in Cornwall in conjunction with uh, Joan the Wad, uh, the Cornish version of Will of the Wisps, basically. And, and the people of Polpero, 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 uh, they regarded regarded them as pixies. And and this is how the rhyme goes: "Quote, Jacko the Lantern, Joan the Wad." Who tickled the maid and made her mad? Would be Wad, Joan the Wad, made her mad. Anyways, who tickled the maid and made her mad? Light me home, the weather's bad. So yeah, Jacko the Lantern, Joan the Wad, who tickled her maid and made her mad. Light me home, the weather's bad. That's a pretty cool little right, little tale, little rhyme tale. So that goes directly along with it. So again, like I said, jack o' lanterns they were also a way of protecting one's home against undead or, or evil spirits, like I mentioned before. Typically, people that are superstitious would use them specifically to ward off vampires as well. It's actually noted that they would use that too, to ward off vampires. It's thought this because it was said that jack-o'-lanterns light was a way of identifying vampires who, once their identity was known, would give up their hunt for you. So that's a pretty cool idea. So also the idea of you put it out there, you're, you're keeping vampires from, from getting you as well too. So And again, that goes hand in hand with Halloween and, and all these kind of supernatural and ghouls and goblins all that kind of stuff too so i think that's pretty cool and again that that's how it evolved into what we have now with with pumpkin carving and and making these jack-o-lanterns and there's so many different ways out there you see it now with with the kind of the traditional face you see that like the stereotypical like triangle eyes triangle nose and the the pointy or or like cube squared teeth that's a common one you see to so many more intricate ones that people make nowadays like a lot of cool stuff out there so that's basically where it evolved from is that. And that's how we get that name of Jack-O-Lantern. I, I think that's pretty cool. Again, there are some different ideas behind it, what, what their use is for. But again, because we're in this day where we're, we're celebrating the end of the harvest, going into winter, we're appeasing the spirits. We, we've kind of thinned the veil between the living world and the dead world. We have all these different things to keep the spirits at bay and, and keep them from causing mischief and put a Jack-O-Lantern out there to, to, keep the vampires away and all this other stuff or it's or it's uh, jack who's wandering the earth aimlessly looking for a resting place so a lot of different cool ideas a lot of different mythology and, and folklore behind it but yeah sawin halloween jack jack-o'-lanterns it all goes hand in hand today i know nowadays and in, in our modern what we do here in, in in the u.s it's it's fun you know it's it's definitely a lot of it now is for the kids and just having fun having a good time I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that do more of the traditional Samhain celebrations, Celtic, whether you're out there in Ireland, Scotland, Great Britain, those areas, whatever, anywhere. If you do celebrate more of a traditional Samhain, awesome. Um, I know they're not everybody in, in the world is Christian. It's kind of funny because, you know, we celebrate these holidays so much, but you see so much here, especially in the U.S. Um, and where I live, there's so much Christianity, which is fine. Which, if you're Christian, that's great. I, I'm, I'm not saying one religion is wrong or, or right or anything, but whatever you celebrate, celebrate it. That's fine. You do you. You do as far as religion. That, that's totally, totally cool. Totally fine. But again, because where I live here, you see so much of that, so much Christianity, um, especially in New Mexico, with so much uh, Mexican, Spanish uh, influence, a lot of Catholicism. There's a lot of Irish here as well, um, especially in Texas. That's where my, my mother and her family came from. Was Texas huge. Uh, Irish ancestry there, a lot of Irish culture. So because of that, they they kind of came this way too. But again, modern Irish and even historical Irish, but Irish, you know, Catholic. You think of Irish and and Hispanic cultures, a lot of a lot of Catholic and Catholicism, right? But of course, I know again, not everybody celebrates that. People believe in other things and celebrate other religions. So again, if if you celebrate these more traditional ways of this of Samhain. Let me know. I'd love to hear what you do. What what sort of celebrations do you do to honor those that have passed your your loved ones? Is that how you celebrate Halloween, or or do you do you not celebrate Halloween? Do you celebrate Samhain? Do you, is it something else for you? Yeah, let me know what what 
what do you celebrate? What what do you like about this? What do you not like about it? Do you do pumpkin carving? What whatever? Are there different traditions that you do? Are there other traditions that I I didn't even mention that maybe you do? Maybe some new things have come about. I don't know. Uh, let me know. I'd love to, I would love to hear it. I I again I love Halloween. I love this time of year. All this sort of stuff is very interesting to me. I I do celebrate Halloween. I enjoy Halloween. But again, reach out to me. Let me know what, what you do, what you celebrate, how you celebrate this holiday. Do you believe in it? Do you not believe in it? Do you have different traditions that you do from where you're from? What is it like for you where you are in, in on the other side of the world from me, your, your different culture? What do you do to celebrate it? So let me know, please. I would love to hear it. Again, it's a fascinating topic with all the different folklore and history and mythology and, and the spiritualism that goes with it. I am fascinated by that. I love this sort of thing. That's again why I love Halloween. And even just like watching movies, like silly horror movies and ghost movies and supernatural movies, it's kind of all this, I just like that kind of stuff. I enjoy it. I, I don't know why. I just, I do. It, I think it's that kind of that spiritual, spiritualism part of me. I like this topic. I like this kind of stuff in general. That's why I like Halloween so much. And again, I have two kids. I get to live vicariously through them while I trick-or-treat and stuff like that. It's fun. It's fun for them. It's fun for me. I love it. I enjoy it. Let me know what you enjoy, what you love with this, what you don't, whatever. Reach out to me. Let me know. Best place you can get me is email, ourweirdworldpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Our Weird World. You can find me on Instagram, Our Weird World. I'll have all those linked in the show notes, of course. Again, thank you for listening. Enjoy your Halloween, whatever you do. Be safe out there. Have a good time. Enjoy the spooky season. Enjoy your fall. Enjoy your winter. Be safe. We'll catch you next time.